1: Kill. Kill. Homie, go him, ah, yes. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Deus. At Nick Deus10 is where you can find me. Veteransminimum.com is where you can find all things VM, including the Patreon to support the show. We got Nick Chavez, Ben Kotzian, Christopher Viasquez. He had to check me on the pronunciation of his name because I've been saying it wrong all this time. Derek Platees, Devin Rendon, Jordan Riley, Mike Wozniak, Nick Crumrich. Thomas Robinson, thank you all for your contributions to the Patreon. We are at 61 patrons. If by the end of the year we could get to 75, that'd be super dope. We got 1, 5, 10, 20, and $40 tiers and certain perks and incentives based on the tier that you get. And you just get a shout out on the show if you join the Patreon, regardless of the tier that you're in. Alan is going to be joining me shortly on this episode of VM. He is running a little late. I also think he might be just a little... Uh, hung over already because Croatia sweated out another one in PKs. Alan is our native Croatian. uh, I mean, he is Croatian. So he's our Croatian expert. And with the World Cup, they advanced to the quarterfinals. We'll talk some World Cup to end the show. But I do have some questions from the members of the Patreon in the Discord that I wanted to get to before we get Alan. And then my rant on Jimmy G. Rune says the Broncos suck. And that also has to do with the Cots piggybacking off this. Nathaniel Hackett is almost guaranteed to be fired, given the abysmal showings they've had this season. Yeah, man. So the thing about Denver that's really interesting is I actually, one of my favorite bets in week 13 was Denver catching nine and a half points. And the reason why is because everybody that I asked about that game, they were playing the Ravens. They all told me that I was crazy to take Denver. And they were all telling me that Denver sucks. No one likes Russ. They didn't go to his birthday party. A lot of that, like that movie, uh, Draft Day, where the, like the main quarterback in that movie, if you guys haven't seen it, the deciding factor in his draft stock was that his teammates didn't go to his draft party. So there were a lot of similarities there. And then also that Nathaniel Hackett sucks. But the way you look at it is, in sports betting, there's a term when it comes to teams catching a lot of points and it's points being at a premium when you have a low total. So the Broncos were nine-and-a-half-point underdogs going into Baltimore, and the over-under in that game was 40 points. Catching nine-and-a-half points as a dog with that good, or should I say elite defense, and you're catching nine-and-a-half nine points against a team in Baltimore who has lost their number one wide receiver, they've lost their running backs, Lamar came into the day hobbled. He ends up leaving with injury. We'll get to that in just a sec. And the Ravens having their flaws as well. That's a lot of points. And throughout the entire game, even prior to Lamar Jackson going down, if you had the nine and a half for Denver, you were not sweating that one out. Yeah, Denver ends up losing the game. So that's why this conversation is happening with the Denver Broncos. But... It's unfortunate because despite them trading away Bradley Chubb, they still have a top three defense in the NFL. I would say it's them, San Francisco, and the Cowboys in no particular order, but those are the three, in my opinion, unanimous best defenses in the league. And I think you're going to see a few coaches that are going to be fired after this season. Whatever happens with Kingsbury is going to be interesting if they do make a run, which I don't think so, but I can see him being shown the door you're going to have someone step in in carolina as a new head coach who knows what's going to happen the fallout of uh Nathaniel Hackett which I think he ultimately might go as well and depending on how it ends with Dan Campbell in Detroit that one might be a reach because the guys do play well for him and they play hard for him they haven't given up on Dan Campbell but also it's it's a what have you done for me kind of league so you do need Detroit to maybe make up some ground and be a potential playoff team or come close to it in order for him to keep his job. But I do think that the Broncos are just, I don't, I don't think Russ is as bad as he's shown to be because they do have weapons. But I think a lot of it is going to fall on the head coach because the head coach is more replaceable than a dude who just guaranteed $150 plus million to over the next couple of seasons. So I do think the scapegoat here is going to be Nathaniel Hackett. And then the other conversation that we need to have is from Burnsy. Green Bay is too inconsistent and not someone I could definitely say is making the playoffs as they struggle to beat a terrible Bears team. Look, man, that game was interesting. I think Justin Fields right now might be the most exciting quarterback in the NFL that doesn't get the attention that he deserves. The Bears next season are going to have probably six or seven primetime games solely because of Justin Fields. And I think the Bears are going to be a team they should definitely take serious next year they have the most cap space in the NFL. I think it's north of 100 million dollars that they can spend in free agency. You got the answer to the question which was whether or not Justin Fields was going to be a guy who you could continue to build on and you're going to have some draft assets as well in order for you to be able to build off that if you're the Chicago Bears. But as far as Green Bay goes, dude, Christian Watson, man, we were we were off the bandwagon for Christian Watson, but Is there anyone playing wide receiver better than him that's a rookie right now? Maybe Garrett Wilson, but this dude leads the NFL in touchdowns in the last five weeks, and that includes Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Travis Kelsey, and he's finally coming into his own, and we have to remember that these dudes are all 21, 22 years old, and for as gifted as they are, it does take some time for you to get acclimated with the speed in the NFL, and he had the drop sees early on, and Aaron Rodgers was not trusting him. But now you're seeing that there is trust for Aaron Rodgers. He ends up scoring another touchdown yesterday, and he's becoming that guy that they thought he was going to be when they drafted him. Before Alan joins us, us, and he is setting up right now, as he just texted me, I do want to talk a little bit about Jimmy G and the San Francisco 49ers. I feel bad for the dude, for as handsome as he might be, and I know... A lot of people would wish that they had his looks. Handsome fella, Jimmy GQ. His career has been really interesting in the NFL, if you look at it. So he gets drafted by the Patriots, and he's supposed to be the heir apparent for Tom Brady. And eventually, he's going to be the guy to replace Brady. And then Brady just keeps winning in New England. And Brady is telling the organization, yo, I'm not going anywhere. So you guys got to get rid of this dude. Try to get an asset. And that's what they did. They traded him to San Francisco. And when he goes to San Francisco, he comes out the gates, wins all those games when he first gets there. Uh, Impey and I, we, we had done the, the San Francisco bandwagon bet. If you guys remember listening to D-Generation Bets way back in the day, we money lined every game that he was starting when he first got there. And for as much heat as he was getting and continues to get, Jimmy G is a winner. We've been very outspoken about how, yeah, it might not look pretty. It might not always be flashy or good. But you look at his record with Kyle Shanahan, and I should say Kyle Shanahan's record with Jimmy G in the lineup and then without, it's significant. Like, dude wins, like, close to 70% of his games. And he's gotten you to a Super Bowl. He's gotten you to a conference championship game in which you were leading by double digits in the fourth quarter. And then Cooper Cup goes absolutely ape shit and obliterates your secondary. That's why you end up losing that game in the NFC title game. But I think the thing about Jimmy G that's so unfortunate is this dude, he's had so many ups and downs. If he hits Emmanuel Sanders on that last play where he overthrows him by a half yard, a yard, maybe we're looking at Jimmy G's career, completely different. San Francisco doesn't go and trade up all those assets to get Trey Lance, which brings me to the Trey Lance conversation. Cause then this year it's, Jimmy G, you just took us to the NFC title game, bro. Thank you very much. But we're going to go to Trey Lance. And he was being a hell of a teammate. He did what he could for him. And then Trey Lance goes down. And now we're back to square one with Jimmy G being the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. And then he gets hurt. And it sucks because they got Christian McCaffrey a couple weeks ago. And they were everyone's sort of NFC winner. Like the unspoken winner though Philly has been playing really well this season and then the top seed and Minnesota is winning all these games, one score, and Dallas is creeping. They're getting better and better every week. San Francisco was a team that no one wanted to play because for as flawed as Jimmy G is and was prior to this injury, that now he's going to miss the rest of the season. You have Kittle, Ayuk, you have CMC, you have Debo, you have the running game, you have Kyle Shanahan calling all the plays and the defense like we were talking about before with Denver. Probably the best defense in the NFL. And then dude breaks his leg yesterday. So he's out for the rest of the season. And it's so unfortunate for Jimmy G and the career arc for him. Because I don't think he comes back to San Francisco. I think this is the last season we would see him in San Francisco. And he's going to be a guy who might be a hot commodity. If you're a team like the Jets or the Giants, getting a guy like Jimmy G could do a lot for your organization. But I think Jimmy G now, it's so unfortunate because not only was this the best team that he was going to be on and had a chance to win the Super Bowl, now if you're someone like me who invested in the San Francisco 49ers or someone that likes the San Francisco 49ers to be a Super Bowl contender, I think you have to sort of lessen those expectations a little bit because for as good as Purdy looked as he stepped in, you got to remember this is a third string quarterback, is a rookie quarterback. And yeah, Fred Warner came out and he kind of vouched for him and said, look, man, he practices every week against the best defense in the league. Is different because he came in relief and he played really well yesterday for the Niners, won him that game. And as someone who one of my favorite bets in week 13 was San Francisco minus three and a half, he covered the game for us. But we do need to tamper expectations on Purdy because he is a rookie. You're going to get more tape on him. So some of the things that he does really well they'll be able to negate that. And then some of the things that he does poorly, teams will be able to exploit that. So it's just, I've always been a Jimmy G guy. I always felt like he was severely criticized. All he did was win. All he did was put you in a position to win. Yeah, when he would take the field against guys like Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrows of the world, there'd be there'd be levels to this. But for the most part, it was so unfortunate what happened to Jimmy G. and for the San Francisco 49ers. Hey. Let's go. Croatia's finest in the building. Well, not in the building, but on the camp. What up, baby?
2: What a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day alive. Be Coach Joey Diaz. It's a beautiful day to be alive, folks. <laughs> Yo, Wonderful day. How uh, I was an office like this?
1: Listen, scale of one to ten. How, uh, how how like, drunk are you right now?
2: No, not too bad. Dude, I had to work afterwards. So uh, I'm getting drunk after this, though. Uh, it's a very busy day. We got audio coming in. Bill Belichick, Pat Mahomes. You know, I got I to work on these things. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a professional. But nevertheless, <laughs> oh, man. It feels like 2018 all over again. Boy, I'm buzzing.
1: Yo, man. Dude, that goalie,
2: though. How many penalty kicks did you say? Three? Three. And because and, you watch, you watch the FIFA series. That's the same goal that Luka T- Modric told him: "You're not playing at the level. You have to do better." Like Modric gave him that pep talk. That's the goal, which I can't believe everything just comes full circle. Damn,
1: yeah, dude, that's so. That was a good series on Netflix. If you guys haven't watched that, it's still pretty relevant. It's called Captains on Netflix, and they spotlight, I believe, it's eight different teams. And some yes. that made the World Cup, some that didn't. They showcase certain countries that I personally didn't even know existed, Alan.
2: And Vantu. Uh, what's the the one the uh, such a V? I think I'm butchering. Vanatu, Vantu?
1: Like the Vantu Islands, I think it
2: was. Yeah, Vantu. They they were there. I think they got kicked because of COVID. They couldn't of COVID. qualify. Yeah.
1: Yeah, bro. That was, that was that was wild. But yeah, there was a scene there where Modric pulls him aside and he goes, dude, we're gonna like need you one day. And being like the grizzled vet, we need you to play better. And Croatia sneaks through. And I think that's a cool way to start this conversation, Alan, about the World Cup. Uh, we'll get to Team USA in a little bit, but so far we're recording this prior to the last day of the knockout stages. So we still have Morocco and Spain. We still have Portugal and the Swiss going. But Alan,
2: great matchups, by the way. I think that's the best two game slate of these four.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'd yeah. agree with you because I could see. It's the only two day slate where no winner would surprise me. Agreed. And so far through the first six, the chalk has hit. And what I mean by that is, yeah, it was stressful for Croatia. Oof. It was stressful without Oof. a doubt. But coming in, like you're looking at all six teams that advance were at minus uh-huh. 250 favorites to advance or more. And for the most part, outside of Croatia, every other team, was in complete control, start to finish, of their games.
2: Which I know kind of stings a little bit, but we'll get to that. I know. I, 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 I we'll say get to we, USA. No, I say yeah. we get to
1: it right now. I say we get to it right okay, now.
2: So, we'll get to the good vibes afterwards. Uh, but USA, uh, do you think what hurts the most is just the fact that all three goals conceded were like… The same? Just very deflate. Yeah, not just the same, but they were both just could have been prevented.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, right? All all of the goals came after either USA sees some momentum or we're dominating in the game, right? Like, Polisic has that chance two or three minutes in, which completely changes the entire complexion of that game. But USA in the first half, 60-40 possession dominating. And they give up that goal to Memphis, who you saw him do the… The, the AB thing. The yeah. And then he yeah. said, uh, they love me in the States. Put that shit on. And uh, AB shouted him out. Uh, I mean, AB shouting out anyone. Uh, yeah, nowadays.
2: I, 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 yeah, I don't think it's a good thing to publicize at the moment. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think Memphis is a little out of touch with what's happening with Antonio Brown here in the States. Yeah. But uh, shout out to the Netherlands though, before we get back to this game, the level of trolling that they've displayed since. As someone that loves trolling and I embrace it, I mean, they, they did a picture on a yacht and a boat playing Uno, and it's synonymous to, like, Odell and the Giants. They did the trolling with A.B. and uh, Memphis Pie. He posted Charles Barkley saying, all bark, no bite, because Charles Barkley was on NBA tonight, uh, M- TNT on NBA, NBA on TNT, excuse me. And Memphis, I mean, dude, the biggest takeaway of that game is when you get to this level of the World Cup, when you have world-class players like Memphis and Van Dyke, you're going you're gonna to probably win that game when, when those guys show up the way they did. They had four quality chances. They scored three of them. And did the U.S. miss the scouting report on Van Dyke being the best center back in the world? Like, why are we playing these long ball crosses into the box when he's clearly cleaning up everything in the air? And it was just poor. It was poor execution by the U.S. team. And I was very disappointed. This, Despite me thinking that they played well, I expected more from them.
2: They also missed the sky Report. Denzel Dumfries. Like, how did they not close him down? We're talking about one of the more electrifying right backs in the world. And Louis Van Hell talked about, like, they were going to attack U.S. on the flanks with him. And you know, say we don't want about being old, but he's still lethal when it comes to uh, that left foot of his. So just... It just seems like the flanks, and then it's unfortunate. Like, USA's midfield, I think, has been one of the best midfields of the tournament. But I thought all three players uh, were all let down. So, Musso got dispossessed a lot. Adams didn't really have a huge influence. I thought McKinney in general can kind of add a meta tournament. So, the fact that, that midfield really couldn't get going, it would, I think that just kind of decimated their chances. Because the thing with the Netherlands, like, they had three colossal center backs. Like, you're not going to break them down through crossing. Like, they had one moment, USA, where I think it was Ake who had a clearance straight to Timothy Weah, and Weah put a shot on target, which was nice. But uh, USA they really need that first goal, which makes that Pulisic miss hurt even more. Because initially I thought it was clearly offsides, and then you watch the replay, I'm like, oh, he is way on. And I think not getting that goal in the second minute, look, it's knockout stage. You you have to capitalize on mistakes. Otherwise, playing from behind, it's going to be a long effort back.
1: When they were showing the replay, dude, I was praying to all the soccer gods that he was offsides. So I could feel better so about that miss. Less. Yeah, because I'm like, you know what, man? He missed that because he knew he was offsides. But then when you see, it, you're like, oh, just so gutted, man, so gutted. Because you get an early goal like that, it changes the entire dynamic of the game. I do want to say with the U.S. a little bit, uh, Berhalter out, right? Like, there's no way he could come back. Ooh, this.
2: Wow, damn, that's that's strong, really. I did not expect that.
1: So I also think that you can't you can't be a manager for two World Cup cycles. I just think it's not possible. I think it needs… There are rare situations where that could happen. But especially when you had the heat coming in with Berhalter. And yeah, you make it out the group stage. Which, dude, by now, like, this idea that, oh, we make it out the group. It's it's awesome. It's like, yo, that should be the standard now. It should be expected that you make it out the group. All these other teams, they don't celebrate and shut down things because they make it out the group. Like, that's like, yeah, that's the least of your worry should be to make it out the group if you want to be taken seriously. And I think Burhalter is going to get a lot of heat for the center forward situation that they had. They weren't able to solve at any point throughout the tournament. The Gio Reyna stuff is going to get criticized. Aaronson not playing as much as he should have. And I also think like, dude, anytime Shaq Moore came on the field, Allen, at right back, it looked like the moment was too big for him. Felt the same way about Haji Wright, which was hilarious because on Twitter, I was like, Yo, we're throwing in the towel that they subbed in Haji, right? And then ten minutes later, he scores the two-one goal, and it's like, Yo, yes, air me out and tell me this is a clown take or that didn't age well. I'll live with it if that's the case. But I think, bro, didn't you think
2: that was a fluky finish? Oh, that was a fluky finish.
1: It was. Yeah, I
2: didn't think that was. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't think it was planned. Was just, look-
2: Look at five minutes ago. He has a clear Sean goal. Then he takes an extra touch and it's a heavy touch and then he wastes the opportunity. Like it's stuff like that. I thought Haji Wright was a total liability. Sold to him.
1: Okay. So that that play right there is the difference between American soccer and, and you being an elite soccer player all over the world because that first touch, if it's, and I get it, it's the cream of the crop, but like Brazilian players take a cleaner touch. Argentinian, Portuguese, the Spanish, the French, that yeah. touch right there, that's the difference between getting bounced in the knockout stage. And, dude, if he takes a good chance, if he takes a good uh, touch there, that's a goal. Like, that's a...
2: It's 2-1. Yeah,
1: it's 2-1 there. And you, you seize momentum. But you take that huge-ass touch, and you're running behind the ball, and then you're playing catch-up, and then what happens, happens. But that right there, a player's first touch, is so crucial for moments like that. And if you go back and watch, if you look at any of these forwards, Murata scored a goal on a first touch. Like, beautiful, just playing it through. And these guys, all that first touch, it sets you up. And when you take a hard touch like that, it just kind of buries you. And I think what happens with the US team moving forward, I do think that they're going to go a new direction with the manager because I think he's had a lot of flaws and a lot of questionable decisions where the, the lineup that he put out to start the game, it's like, dude, I feel so bad for Ferreira because it has nothing to do with him as a player, but… Man, you can't put a guy out there that hasn't played in any of the World Cup games in a do or die situation, cold turkey, and be like, now you gotta perform. I think that's that's it asking a makes lot.
2: Sense.
1: Yeah, and it sucks that Sargent got hurt in that game against Iran, because I think he would have been in there.
2: But Yeah, man, he's a useful contributor.
1: Yeah, and he played well against Iran. But like, dude, put put Haji right in at least from the start in that point, because at least he's played in the World Cup, even though it wasn't gonna get me excited, but Getting a guy completely off the bench that hasn't played at all. It's like, yo, it, it's similar to when they'll do this shit in the NBA and it drives me crazy. It happened with the Knicks a couple of years ago in the playoffs against Trey Young. Frank nilakina didn't play the entire game, and they put him out there with 30 seconds left to guard Trey Young in a crucial situation. Sure. It's like, bro, what do you think was gonna happen? He got crossed over and, and Trey Young took it to the cup. It's like, yeah, no shit that was going to happen, bro. This guy hasn't played for 47 and a half minutes. And now you want him out there and be like, yo, you know what? This is the biggest the biggest defensive stop of the game. We need you to perform. It's like, yo, can I get like a sweat? Can I, you know, like stretch out a bit or something? Now you want me to go and perform in this high-pressure situation? It's like, yeah, that's why the mer- moment looks so bad for Ferreira. And again, it sucks because it had nothing to do with him as a player. I actually like him as a player. But it's the, it's the idea of you haven't played at. All this tournament, and now you're in this spot, Alan. I feel like that's a lot of pressure for that dude.
2: Yeah, they didn't step up in a place to succeed, especially against that Dutch defense. Which uh, I'm interested to see how Argentina tries to break now. See, Argentina has credible technicians. Um, obviously, we have Messi, uh Julian Alvarez has become one of the rising yeah. stars of the tournament. So uh, that, that's a really fascinating matchup. But look, Netherlands are going to make it ugly. I just didn't expect them to be they're Passing transitions, and it's the way they were splitting the field. Like, I had, I knew they had talented, obviously, skillful players, but like you look at that first goal, it was like a seven pass sequence, bang, goal. Like, I was blown away at how well they were in possession because you know, I thought they looked awful against Ecuador. That was the only real Netherlands game I watched all the tournament. And I don't know, they don't really, they're another team that doesn't really have a clear goal scorer, even though Memphis is kind of like that. But I'm talking about like a proper number nine, which a lot of these teams have, you know, go, and then with the USA, I think going four years from now, I think obviously number nine is the biggest priority. but I think they need more skillful center backs. I love me some Tim Ream, but he's not necessarily someone that is that great as a distributor. And Zimmerman's very limited. I think if USA could get a couple more solid center backs than the striker, I think they could really pose a threat. Because I think the roster, for the most part, is pretty much set. Like, they have so many players under 25. So, uh, I'd be hopeful. Uh, if, if, you obviously know way more than me when it comes to the manager. I don't know him all that well. Uh, I think it's embarrassing. He's dressed up like uh, he's about to record a podcast. Or he's going to go to Whole Foods rather than managing a game. You see all these suits. Louis Van Alls, Lacordalic, Didier Deschamps, Gareth Southgate, dressed like proper managers. This guy's dressed up like he's going to Whole Foods. Like, come on, man. So, uh, that's, <laughs> I have to, sorry, I just think it's ridiculous. Come on, man. You're coaching a World Cup knockout stage match. Get together. But, uh, look, I think there's still a lot to be hopeful about, but I understand why it was flame because all three goals, it was just like poor defending rather than, yeah, there were moments of brilliance, but just like, you can just close them down. Dest, I, I thought Des played well, but that second goal—it's like, ah,
1: yeah. De- Des played well, and Des wanted that game too. For for those that don't know, he had a choice between the Netherlands and the U.S. He wanted to play for the Netherlands. They didn't want him, and then the U.S. embraced them with open arms. Same thing happened with Musa in England as well. That was another guy who could have played for England also. And look, man. It, Burhalter, I kind of liked it because I'm a sneakerhead and they were always showing like his drip on the oh. sidelines. so he was pulling up with some
2: the cements, pretty, right?
1: Yeah, some pretty sweet Jordans that, you know, I always take Ls on the sneaker app. So shout out to Greg Burhalter and his sneaker game, but you're right. All the managers are like clean cut, kind of, you know, suit and tie, very, you know, professional
2: Except looking. Senegal, but salute to Senegal.
1: Hey man, they were they were they were definitely a vibe though. They were definitely a vibe. And I think the thing with the US uh, they asked Burhalter what was the difference? And he's like, we don't have a guy scoring goals in the Champions League like Memphis, which it's a shot to your team, but it's also the truth. So is that a bad thing?
2: Uh, I think he's there's validity behind it. I don't know if you want to say it publicly, but yeah, they don't have a true goal scorer. It just, it also, we mentioned like Pulisic, terrible, to had a great tournament, but terrible time to have your worst game of the tournament. Uh, some of the crosses is putting in. It just seemed like every foul ball, Pulisic just was not there. And he hasn't been playing consistently for Chelsea, so this validity test statement—it's just probably the timing was going to get to a lot of the Americans.
1: You should definitely feel optimistic moving forward. I do for sure. I would like to see them in like a Copa America. I think that'd be pretty cool to play against some of the you know better competition. Because, dude, if you win the Gold Cup, it's like.
2: Congrats! Yeah, because like, Mexico's on a downhill, and Canada's cool, but I think we know Canada's limitations.
1: But still, it's like one of those three are gonna win it, right? Where mm-hmm. like in the Copa America, you've seen Chile win it recently. You've seen Uruguay make a run. You, you got Argentina. You got Brazil. You got Colombia. You got the hostile environments of going into like a Bolivia or Venezuela. Like you're just playing Peru. Peru, yeah, Paraguay, which <laughs> I didn't even mention. Like you're yeah. going and you're playing higher level of competition and it's a tournament that kind of matters it's it's Absolutely. like the euro cup like if you win the copa america it's a prestigious thing like bro the u.s has won so many gold cups and it's like no one really cares it's not, not doing. Yeah,
2: it. it's a cool moment like we watched it it was cool like it was exciting but it wasn't anything that like you're gonna have a parade for it just more like all right this is a, this is a good step for progression but, like i compare the gold cup kind of like to a nation's league for europe and i love the nation's league but then again like no one's really going to be glorifying nations. Like, oh, this is some huge achievement. It's more like, all right, this is a cool way for international teams to stay competitive and you know, see how they could build a roster for uh, the upcoming major tournament.
1: Is there anything that surprised you in the knockout stages?
2: Um, I, I just how competitive Australia was. Yeah. Definitely didn't see that coming. So to them, I, I thought this, they were one of the worst teams coming into the tournament. Wow, so resilient. And like they have no players in the top five leagues. Like they're just a bunch of championship Scottish players. And here they are competing. And they, I thought they created some good chances. That left back uh, Benich had like this run that I thought could have been one of the goals of the tournament. But yeah. Lizandro Martinez with this last ditch tackle. Lizandro Martinez, who's like five foot seven, somehow a tremendous center back. They got a cool pairing there. Got him, you got Romero, Altamendi, who I know is a bit of a punchline. But look, Altamendi's a good leader for them. So I just think Australia. Uh, was I did not expect them to stay that
1: competitive. Yeah, they definitely impressed, man. They definitely impressed. And they were a team where, yeah, they cut it to 2-1 on Argentina. Martinez should be the top goal scorer right now in the World Cup just off the amount of chances Ooh. that he missed against Australia. Yeah, big letdown. And look, man, you can get away with that. You can get away with that when you're playing on Australia. But you, you better capitalize on those chances against the Netherlands and then if they get through that, you're probably gonna play Brazil. No offense, Alan. Though the Croatians got, uh, All right, well, We'll talk say. about that. We'll talk. Yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah we'll talk. I, I like when you get fired up like that, dude. I do think that what you what you've seen so far, going back to how we opened up this conversation, the the elite teams know that it's do or die now, and they're not messing around. In the group stage, you could get away with ah, you know what? It's the it's the 75th minute. Let's let, let let's not concede. Let's play a little more passive. Let's get the draw or let's not give up more goals because of goal differential. And you even saw it, Argentina, they dropped that first game to Saudi Arabia. And then they, you know, they've won three straight since then. But I think what you're seeing now is the elite teams know that there is no coming back from this. You have to capitalize on your opportunities. The elite teams have all advanced so far. And it's because you have the better talent. And there's no, we'll get them tomorrow like it is in the group stage. And that's why teams are jumping out to leads and then they're just playing passive. And what Brazil did today was just the Brazil that I envisioned, they were a 4-0 in the 35th minute. And then they were cruising the rest of the way. And talk about like having so much talent and like not being able to pick, like having so many things to pick from. Martinelli yes. and Anthony are two of, I would say, probably the most formed players in their position. And they don't even start for Brazil. Like, they started in the last game in the group stage when it didn't matter against Cameroon. But it's like, dude, off the bench, you get Jesus. You get Martinelli. You got all the—you got, like, a team that could probably win the World Cup. And it's like, damn it, Brazil. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous that you have all that
2: talent. I. And it's just, like, they're just a well-oiled machine because it's, like, pretty much the only position you could say, all right, there may be a little light in his fullback, but, like, what team is stacked at fullback? But, like, when you, when you look at that attacking power, especially as you see now, the tournament goes on where it's just, like, you need that. Like, you just yeah. need, like, those five subs are so useful, and Brazil has that. I think it's going to really benefit them going forward just because they can make those changes. Even though losing Gabriel Jesus is, a, I think, a significant loss, they still have more enough firepower to manage that. Uh, and so I just want to mention when it comes to, we we're talking about like the top teams and their decisiveness. Just want to quickly mention France-England before we talk about Croatia a little bit. Like France-England, you watch those games. They took the chances where it was Jaru, salute to him. I know he, some people don't like him, but lean top goal scorer all time for France definitely deserves to be praised. And that Mbappe finish, good God almighty. He just picked a spot and said, you're not safe. And we know how good the tournament he's been having. That goal by Mbappe, like I don't know if it's goal of the tournament, but I thought it was like just one of those signature moments where it's just like, Yep, Mbappe's here and he's gonna be here for a long time.
1: is probably gonna go down as the best center forward of all time.
2: Is he a center forward though? I think he's just a forward because you utilize you him on a left wing. Like, I'm not sure where exactly he plays. Good but call. if you just wanna say, call it like an attacker, kind of like Messi. Like, Messi's not really a center forward. He's just more inside forward, winger, like however you wanna phrase it. I just call him attacker at this point. He plays whatever position he wants.
1: Nah, that's definitely fair because. There's not like Ronaldo's not a forward and he's broken all these records with goals and he's dropping 30, 40 goals a season. I mean, not anymore, but like all the last couple of seasons. Like Benzema's probably like a true number nine center forward. Yes. But they have Harry I mean Kane. yeah, Harry Kane also. And is just absolutely ridiculous, dude. Like his pace is insane. His speed is unbelievable. I think he's the most dangerous player. I, I think he's the most of any player in the tournament, I would say, Allen, he's the guy that can wreck games the most. Like, there's not a player Absolutely. like him in the tournament right now, Mbappe, who zero, 0 hasn't done nothing all game, can have that one breakaway run, or he takes on that one defender that gets a yellow card or a red card, or early on in the game, the speed just being so much for you to keep up. And he's burying everything that he ha- he's had one miss where he was even shocked, but it was when they were up four, four goals on. Uh, on Australia, Australia. also. Yeah. So it wasn't like a crucial miss, but man, him is, he's just unbelievable, dude. And he's only 23 years old and he's won a World Cup already. And he's gonna shatter the Giroud record eventually. yeah Like this dude yeah. is gonna go down as one of like the greatest of all time.
2: He's on that trajectory. And it just it's like you watch that goal, it's like pulling the fans, the only to go near man And you see over the course of the tournament, like at this point, player, the just back off. They're like, we're scared of his pace so much we're not trying to get like, exploded by it because otherwise he's going to probably put in the box or he's going you know, to, you know, put a goal or get a clean cross because we, he has that target man Giroud, and you always have Gresman lurking in the background. I think Gresman's probably having a very good tournament. I know he's been kind of forgotten about given that he's not had much club success. But, you know, France, they got that well-oiled machine and they're kind of like 2018. They're crafted very nicely. They don't have quite the same midfield, but given how much Mbappe has, like, evolved as a player, France still looks like one of the scariest teams, and I think if I had to make a pick coming off that side, I think they're probably going to be in the final.
1: Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that, man. I also want to see what kind of eleven Southgate is going to put out with England, because I think that's going to yes, be that's going to be a banger of a game. Like the, the the games potentially that we could get for the quarters, if like Portugal and Spain go through, you're going to have some bar. I mean, we lines.
2: got heavyweights. Yeah. I mean, no, we already got heavyweights. Netherlands, Argentina, heavyweights. Um, England, France, heavyweights. And damn right, Croatia a heavyweight Let's because go. this team man, three penalty shootouts in the last two World Cups. The resilience, just you know, penalty shots just. It, I only want to watch. Like I, this is me when I'm watching penalty today. I got the scarf over my mouth. I'm scared <laughs> as hell because, like, 2018 was 102 degrees outside. I'm just like this. Now this year, this is my, this is my pose. Like I was nervous as hell, but yet oh my god, like, just how, how, words I can even put into it, it, just look, Dominic Lavakovich, I've never highly rate as a keeper, I feel like he always plays nervous, but just the way he, it just seems like he always anticipated where the Japanese player was going, and just having that weapon, even though he's not a great distributor, he doesn't really command the boxhole, but just having that, those pure instincts, those reactions, it's, it's, it's dangerous like yeah, he dominated that shootout similar to Daniel Subasic in 2018 who pretty much carried Croatia when they beat Denmark in the round 16 so man it's definitely not pretty uh this team's definitely nowhere near as good as 2018 but look there's just this resolve with Croatia and I think just having the battle test of players I had a feeling at some point Perisic was gonna pop up he does it every tournament just when things look bleak comes in with a header uh, as old as Modric is looking right now, and it is unfortunate. It looks like Flatter Slime is getting to him. You still can't doubt him. I'm wearing my Marcelo Brozovic shirt today. say, good lower with a shift. He broke his own record today, ran like 16.7 kilometers. He ran like 16.3 in a semifinal against England back in 2018. Ran even more today and then scored a beautiful penalty. Like it's just they have these players that are battle tested, and just having that experience, you know, it can't be doubted. So uh look with Croatia. I know people say, okay, they've drawn two, they still struggle to score goals, but they are tough to break down. I know people bring up Lukaku; he should score. I'm not denying that, but this is a team that's not be tried lightly. They have, you can talk about the midfield; they have someone Perisic who is lethal. The Josko Vardio, besides Jude Bellingham, has been the best young player this tournament. Good lord, he's going to be exceptional. Whoever wins the sweepstakes to buy him, but Chelsea, Real Madrid, they're going to enjoy him. And hey, man, credit down Lovren who had the assist day. what a cross! And I've been very critical of Lovren as well, but. Just one of those experienced players, one champions league with Liverpool, one a Premier League, and he delivered as well. So you Kresha know, has experience still. It's like it's a weird, they're a weird mix right now. It's like the, the upcoming generation and the ends of the golden generation. There's like nobody really in their prime outside of Kovacic and Rosevich. So it's it's like they're trying to figure out a way. And it, yes, it's not been pretty, but I thought they deserved Tay's win. And oh, what a what a beautiful sigh of relief because it was just crazy seeing Kovacic and Mo just taken off in the 109th I minute. Mean, I was like, I kind of get it, given that they're struggling to create chances, and it's just like the, just the whole structure of this World Cup, where there was no friendlies, no rest. It's like these players gotta be gassed. like, and can you really expect a 37 year old Modric to play under 20 minutes. So I understood, even though it just felt weird seeing him actually taking off. But look, it paid off. The substitutes Vasilic, Vasilic, all scored excellent penalties, and wow, Croatia in the quarterfinals. Just, I can't wait for Friday.
1: Dude, that was a hell of a promo or a rant. I don't know what that was, but that was the most fired up I've ever seen you. Shout out to Croatia, man. Dude, battle testing <laughs> for buzzing. sure, right? Like, how many yeah. how many tournaments can you go and win, like, penalty kicks, right? It's it's definitely yes, a so I don't think
2: it's sustainable, but look, it speaks volumes. Like, I, I was praying Rakitic was going to show up. I was like, I need Rakitic to just come right. off the plane right now, take the penalty. But, uh, you know, credit to that, man. They... Even with this new generation, you know, the, the players, I thought they were really composed. And I don't think they have a much of a chance against Brazil, but they take an extra time and, hey, all bets are off.
1: Dude, I can't wait. Because now now you're going to start seeing, like, more and more quality games. You're going to start seeing the, the world class of soccer is what you're going to see the rest of the way. And regardless of what happens uh, in the games tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening. You're going to start seeing, like, the reason why so many people tune into these games during the World Cup. And, I mean, I don't want to look too far ahead. And, you know, I don't want to, like, bury you because I know you are Croatian and I do have a a soft spot for them because of you. But, like, the idea of, like, an Argentina-Brazil and then a a Portugal-France is, like, France-Spain, England-Spain. Like, dude, you're talking about, like, the elite of the elite. And the way it's shaping up, kind of, is, like, the South American side of the bracket versus the Euro side of the bracket to, to really have a World Cup winner where it's like you have the, the cream of the crop from South America and then from Europe is, is pretty unique also, dude. It's pretty unique. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited for that because for the most part, based on the betting markets also, if it does go chalk, you're going to have a South American team versus a European team to really establish the winner of the World Cup which are the two best regions of the world when it comes to soccer. Uh, I'm pumped. I know you're pumped. I do want to end with a little bit of a football take. Uh, I want to just ask you first how you feel about what happened to the Niners and Jimmy G. I had my say to open up the show while we were waiting for you to come on, but I do want to get your uh, just thoughts on like went down, man.
2: It's hugely unfortunate because I think Garoppolo has been playing his best football for years. Like I think he's actually found comfortability in the offense. I look, Kyle Shan's offense is very quarterback friendly, but I thought Garoppolo over the past few weeks, particularly that Cardinals winning night game, has played some tremendous football. But look, they still have the firepower. I, I think it's those four: Debo, Kittle, McCaffrey, Ayuk. Like it's there's so much opportunity there for big plays, so much yak opportunity. So whether it's Brock Purdy or maybe they take a chance on Baker Mayfield, although I can't envision Shanahan wanting to tolerate Baker Mayfield, where the quarterback may be, at least they're in a really quarterback-friendly system. And you have a defense that, in most games, they're not going to allow more than 17 points. And I think in today's day and age of football, if, if you could put your team in a position where they only have to score 20 points, you take that any day of the week. So you know, even though they lost Garoppolo, this doesn't really... To me, damage the Niners Super Bowl hopes. I still think they're a top three team in the NFC. It's just a matter of finding some uh, comfortability with the offense, like making sure whoever the quarterback may be, you know, just build a rapport with the receivers. Because at some point, you're going to have to make some big time throws and you're going to have to play Micah Parsons and you're going to have to play that Eagles front line. And it's just like, okay, that's where the play's going to be made. Because at some point, you can't just solely rely on the defensive to play, matters. you got to make a couple of throws. And, you know, Garoppolo d- did a decent job for the most part. So uh, it's a drop off, but. Anyone that thinks the Niners are done, no way. Like, this team's going to be competing late January, potentially even early February.
1: I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but also, like, the idea of now Purdy coming in, a third-string quarterback, to have to navigate the ship. I think it's asking a lot. Uh, I hope you're right, because I do like a lot of guys on the Niners, and I do like the San Francisco 49ers to come out the NFC. How my pockets also would like that to be the case as well. But I think it's a… It's Wait, a,
2: hold on. I th- you have Eagles Vikings?
1: Yeah, I had that in the beginning. Oh, okay. But I'm talking about, like, bets that I make. Like, you get new information as the season goes on, right? So, like, Brr. after week eight, right before they get CMC, it's like, yeah, I think the Niners are a team that's been there, done that. With Jimmy G, this is the best team. I agree with you. He was playing the best football that he's played. But also, this is the best team that they've had. Like, all these weapons are out of control. And you had, like, Elijah Mitchell coming back. I know he got hurt again. But for the most part, if that team could stay healthy, which was the knock on the Niners, can that team stay healthy? And we saw that the the one guy that was probably irreplaceable is the one that went down for as much shit as he kept getting all these years. And, you know, I was talking about that before you joined. So I don't want to, you know, kind of repeat that. But I do want to end the show with the Bengals and Joe Burrow. Dude, they're not intimidated by Kansas City at all. They're in Kansas City, in Cincinnati. They want all the smoke. Jamar Chase was doing the make it rain thing on uh, Reed because he was yapping before that game coming up. And, man, when they're fully healthy, bro, and they didn't even have mixing yesterday. And I think Joe Burrow is now everyone's talking about him being in the MVP conversation. And not that I disagree with it, but I'm not going to say, like, he's the MVP right now. But, man, having that guy, bro, like, as long as you have that guy and the belief that they have in Joe Burrow – they're going to be a problem for whoever they play, wherever they play.
2: Exactly. And look, they go on the road. We saw last year in the playoffs. Right. So, and I just think, given how organized their defense is, getting DJ Reeder back, the big nose tackle, I thought made a huge difference. They're just, they're pretty complete. Like, even though they're not, we always talk about the Bengals on Main Stars defensively, but they all make mistakes. They get their tackles. They don't have coverage breakdowns. You know, they're just, they always seem to be in the right position. And then you have Trey Hendrickson get a sack or you get Jesse Bates breaking up a pass. Like they just make those timely plays and look offensively personnel wise. They're among the most terrifying offenses in of the league. And let's not forget Tyler Boyd dropped a wide open touchdown. If he catches mm-hmm. that pass, like they probably wouldn't buy more. So in fact, they don't have Mixon, who's been playing much better. And now the offensive line is for the past month, I think starting to understand like, okay, we know how to pick up stunts. Now we know how to block properly, get those combo blocks. Like, they just seem like, okay, the first two months was a bit of a trial and error. Now everything's co- coalescing nicely. And yeah, I think third best team in the AFC, you'd make even a case. Maybe they're even better than Buffalo. I still think Kansas is the top team, but man, Cincinnati, you know, we both said it. Like this team got better in the offseason. There's no way they're gonna fall off just because they made the Super Bowl. Okay. Their winning was a little bit dicey, but this team is still super talented. They're so young. I do think they're well coached as much as Zach Taylor is frustrating. We all love Big Lou. So, yeah, no, Bengals, we've we always been high on them, and there's no reason not to be. Like, this team is here to stay.
1: And there was a moment when Zach Taylor, after Jamar Chase does this thing, that he goes up to him and he's like, dude, what are you doing? We just got a penalty now. Like, chill. Oh, yeah. And he was like, yo, my bad, my bad. And he apologized right. after the game. He's like, yo, you know, I let my emotions get the best of me. Thank God it didn't cost us. First game back. First game back, yeah. And like, dude, I mean, talk about excitement level. Like, that guy is just unbelievable. The catch that he made, the Jordan logo catch, and he, he, you know, it wasn't a catch because he stepped out of bounds, but still, that guy is so dynamic. The thing about Cincinnati that you mentioned, and it's so true, is the offensive line. Like, they brought all these new pieces in, and they were all good signings. It just takes a while for your offensive line and the continuity of it to mesh. That's why in the beginning of the season, they look so bad. Micah Parsons, we were, that was a game that kind of made me say, yo, he's the best offensive player in the league. And then you had what TJ Watt did to them also in week one, where I think Pittsburgh had five turnovers in that game. They've had, I think, six turnovers since. (laughs) And that was 12 (laughs) games ago, right? So. To right. me, to me, it takes time for your offensive line. Dude, it was the same shit that happened last year, Allen, with Kansas City. The first, like, seven or eight games, Kansas City was four and three, four and four. And then I came on the show, and I was saying, yo, there's a path for Mahomes to maybe they run the table. I see them losing one game, bet him to win MVP. He didn't win MVP, but he was a preseason MVP favorite, and then he's 25 to one. And then they ended up losing only one game, and a lot of that had to do with the offensive line getting better. And Cincinnati was a team who they make all these additions on the offensive line. It just takes time, bro. It takes time, and now you're seeing that was a big takeaway for me is that the last couple of weeks this offensive line stepped up, and Joe Burrow is the 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 comp to him has been that like Brady aura, Brady swag, and I think he has every bit of it and some.
2: Yeah. And he commands the locker room. Such a hell of a leader. Like, like that third down conversion to seal the game. Because the yeah. previous play was so frustrating. He had to take the sack. And then he said, nope, I'm going to go across the middle of T. Higgins. Thread the needle. We're ending it here. They're not getting the ball back. So, yeah. Uh, I love that Bengals, too, are, dude. I love that.
1: Because like Minnesota. And, and we'll end with this. Minnesota had a situation where they make that fourth down stop on the one yard line against the Jets. And I know it's on the one yard line. You're playing a little more conservative. I get that. But also just like. Not one attempt to Jefferson or Thielen. Like, you're just, you're just saying we're going to run this out and defense make another stand. But Burrow and the Bengals are like, nah, son, y- y'all not getting this ball back because we've seen what number 15 could do with, what, 13 seconds on the clock? Nah, not this time. Like, it's a wrap. Yeah. We're going to go out there. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to pick up the first down. And then it's night-night. Case, see you later. That's what the social team for Cincinnati put up. Okay, <laughs> see you later. Which, I don't know, bro. That might, that's going to... Might be one of those don't, don't age not well. You're hurting well. feelings.
2: But then, you also bring up 13 seconds, man. Bill fans listening to this. Oh, they're going to be hurt by that. They don't want to hear anything about 13 seconds ever again.
1: Listen, the Bills fans got a lot, lot more they got to worry about than just that. Because I, I think that team is seriously flawed and... You know, I've expressed my, my my concerns for Bills Mafia, but we'll save that for another conversation. Alan, we do need to wrap up. Uh, I'm happy for you in Croatia. Uh, in What you told me years ago when the Giants made the playoffs and you text me and you said, dude, how you feeling? And I was just sending you two straight paragraphs of negativity. You're like, dude, enough. Embrace this. Your team doesn't make the playoffs every year. Who knows when this is going to happen again for Croatia, this run of the last couple of tournaments. So uh, I'm, I'm pulling for them. Uh, if they could shock the world once again, that, that'd that be pretty sweet. I know you'd be hyped up, but I appreciate you calling in, man, and, and coming on the show as always.
2: Thank you. I definitely wanted to do this. And oof, it just, this is the beauty of the World Cup. It, it just brings people together and just it raises your heart levels. And it's just the anticipation. Like, you can't wait. Like, you just see the commercials. So... Yeah, let's quarterfinals. We're guaranteed to get. We got three heavyweight matchups. Hopefully, you get one more tomorrow. You know, so, I love the Swiss and the Moroccans. Great story, but look, People want to see the heavyweights. So we want to see quality. Let's get
1: Yeah, it. yeah. We want to see.
2: quality yeah.
1: Where can they find you on social?
2: Alan Stirk. A L E N S T R K. Uh, hopefully the Falcons break a quarterback change so I can write a buddy.
1: Oh, you're done with Mariota, huh? <laughs> I mean, I think the whole organization's done. Right? You gotta see Boykin over there. Yeah, I feel you. At Nick 10 as you can find me. At Veterans Minimum as you can find all things for the show. Subscribe to the YouTube channel to watch the podcast on there. And we will catch you guys later this week with some UFC, some more NFL, and some NBA. Do a first quarter of the season wrap-up. Catch you guys next time.